responding to Christmas? What do we do with this incredible truth? How do we respond to it today? And we're going to look at four just glimpses. Again, these are very familiar Bible stories. So my goal isn't to tell you the story. You saw a lot of that in the video. But just to key in on how they respond. So we're going to start with these shepherds. We're looking at a response of fear that turns into worship. If you want to follow along, we're in Luke chapter 2. Fear that turns to worship. Now you have to imagine these are just normal everyday shepherds. They're, they're nothing special. They're in some ways a little bit of an outcast in society. Uh, they're out doing their thing. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears. And so we'll pick up the story in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Terrified. Why? Why were the shepherds terrified? Well, first of all, that, that phrase there, angel of the Lord, is interesting because it's used in a few different ways throughout Scripture. Sometimes it means an angel appearing on behalf of the Lord. Sometimes it actually means the Lord appearing. Most of the time, it's sort of a mix between the two, that this person that they're seeing is so amazing, they don't know if it's the very face of God or an ambassador on God's behalf. But either way, they are just blown away. And nothing like this had happened in over 400 years. These shepherds were not like people of the Old Testament that had these stories within generation or two of people that had appearances of God and they were thinking, oh, wouldn't that be great? Nothing like this had happened in 400 years. And as a shepherd, you wouldn't expect it to happen to you, even if it hadn't happened in that long. The other thing we need to understand is that throughout Scripture, people are typically afraid when God or one of his messengers appear. They're scared. It's so overwhelming. The holiness, the glory of that moment is so powerful that they just don't know what to do. And they're scared because in the Old Testament, to look on the face of God is to die. Because sin cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. So here they are, these shepherds, and they get this message from the angels, starting in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then this one angel turns into a whole bunch of angels. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the angel starts and says, Do not be afraid. There's this calming of their fear. God's messenger on God's behalf calms them down and says, What I am about to do is going to erase the fear and the reason for the fear. He goes on to say, I'm giving you great news, good news that causes great joy for all the people. And then there's an announcement of the Messiah. Now, of course, they were terrified. I mean, this was an amazing experience. They were seeing in some way, shape or form the very glory of God before them. And they, these nobody shepherds, were getting this amazing message. 
Now look at what they did with it. Look at how they responded. Starting in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So their first response is one of fear. I think their second response is excited curiosity. I'm guessing they're still a little bit nervous. Maybe even still a little bit afraid. I mean, I get it. The angel says, don't be afraid. If I'm in their shoes, I'm not sure that would have been enough. I think I still would have been a little bit scared. What in the world is going on? What are we now a part of? But what do they do? They take that fear and they go anyway. They want to see what God is doing, even if they don't quite understand it. And so verse 16 says, they hurry off and they find baby and Joseph, or they find Mary and Joseph in the baby. Now, I I wonder here, if there's a little bit of a portion of the story that's kind of untold. Bethlehem wasn't a huge town, but it wasn't a teeny tiny town either. And I'm wondering, do the shepherds just walk into town and say, hey, uh, where's this you know, baby that we were just told about? Because as far as we know, nobody else knows at this point. How long did it take them? How long did they have to search before they found Mary and Joseph? How did they know which manger to go to? Was there only one in town? Hey, all the babies go in that manger and they just went there. There's like a sign, baby manger this way. I'm guessing not. And so they're searching. And this excitement and this curiosity is driving them. But then they have a third response that we see in verses 17 through 20. And it's the response of worship. Look at verses 17 and 18. When they had seen him, that's the baby, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So here they go from being afraid, wondering why this message has come to them, to going out and saying, we've got to tell as many people as we can. I hope that our picture of worship is big enough to include this overflowing excitement and a desire to tell other people. Because I think that is just as much a part of worship as songs and prayer and reading. It is an overflowing wanting to tell others. But then verse 20 says, the shepherds returned. I don't know if it means they returned to the manger scene or if they returned to their sheep. But either way, it says glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The fear is turned into worship. You know, it's interesting because fear is actually a fairly proper response to Christmas. Ever thought about that? Jesus, as we talked about last night, is Emmanuel, God with us. There should be an appropriate holy awe and even fear that the King of the universe would be born to live among us. But it must turn into worship. Worship that overflows in sharing this story with others. Worship that turns into praising and glorifying God for what He has done. Let's look at two other people's response to Christmas. Let's look at Simeon and Anna. Often one of the lesser known or two of the lesser known characters in the Christmas story, but very important. Look at Luke chapter 2 verses 25 through 35 and we'll look at Simeon. 
Now there was a man from Jerusalem called Simeon, or in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child in, the child, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This means, in, in their culture and in, in their understanding, they, he was waiting for the Messiah. He wasn't sure exactly what this would look like, but he knew God had not yet abandoned his people. He knew that God was still at work, that the Messiah was coming. But think about that. Again, he sees this unassuming family walk into the temple. It's a typical mom, typical dad, typical baby. You've probably seen the pictures of Christmas morning and they all have halos around their head, right? That's not in Scripture. I mean, that would be pretty obvious. I think the whole world would be like, whoa, halo, hey, that's the Messiah. I mean, that would be easy, right? But the Bible doesn't have that. It says there was nothing that would cause us to look at this child or later on as an adult and say, that's the Messiah. He was, in many ways, unassuming. And yet, look at Simeon's response. He takes Jesus into his arms and declares in verse 29, that God can now let him die in peace. He has peace. So much so that he's saying, I don't even have to live anymore. My life is complete in this moment because I have seen the Messiah. He has peace. Verse 30 says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. What a statement of faith. What a response to this message of Christmas. And then we come to Anna. Verses 36 through 38. You can read it on your own, but we see she also was a woman of great faith, spending all of her time in the temple. And she gives thanks to God. And then in verse 38, it says, she speaks about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna knows there's others who need to see, to hear, to know this incredible news. That's a pattern in the Christmas story. We saw it in the shepherds. We see it here in Simeon and Anna. There's this desire to tell others. I hope this Christmas that we have that response. This worship that overflows in evangelism. This peace that overflows in thanksgiving. There's another person I want to look at. His name is Herod. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Herod is, in many ways, the bad guy of the Christmas story. Starting in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. I want to tell you a little bit about Herod because it's fascinating the way he responds. You see, Herod's response is one of being threatened, deeply threatened. And we need to know why. In about 40 BC, Herod went, uh, he was sort of a a governor, a high-ranking official, but just one of many. And he went to Rome on a trip. He had a whole mission, something he wanted to accomplish. But on that trip, what happened was that out of the blue, the Roman Senate declares him king over Judea and gives him the title, get this, king of the Jews. That was his title. Herod had to fight against his own family in order to keep his power. He was more than willing to do this. In fact, he marries one of his relatives in order to consolidate his power base. The only problem really was that he was already married and had a young child with his wife. So he banishes them. He sends away his wife and their young child. Later on, that new wife that he had married in order to consolidate his power, well, he has her, ex- has her executed. This is the kind of guy that Herod is. The picture of Herod in history is of someone who thought very highly of himself and someone who was terrified to hold on to his importance. He thought very highly of himself. Now, picture Here's Herod, thinking very highly of himself, wanting everybody to know how great he is, wanting everybody to know how important he is. And he receives news. These wise men, these were wealthy, knowledgeable scholars that had come from far away, probably richly dressed. And he probably receives word that they have just chests filled with expensive things. And he's thinking, finally, Finally, I'm getting my due. They're coming to check me out. And all of these people are going to see how important I am because they're coming to talk to me. And then they speak. And look at what they say. Where is the one who has been born, what? King of the Jews. He thinks he's so important. And right there, these wealthy, important travelers come to him and say, not only do we not recognize you as the king of the Jews, we're looking for somebody else who is the true king of the Jews. I wonder how hard this crushed Herod in that moment. Herod gets his smartest people together and he hatches this plan that he will find this baby and put him to death. Later on in verses 16 through 18, because that original plan failed, he takes the time that he learned from these wise men and he kills all baby boys two years old and under in the area. That is a picture of someone threatened by this truth. I think we can all be threatened by Christmas sometimes. 
Jesus shows us our need of salvation. If we didn't have a great need, he would have never have come. The greatness of Jesus, the power, the glory, the might of who he is, is humbling to us, and most of us don't like to be humbled. There's a recognition that he is king and we are not. It is something that Herod was not willing to deal with. He wanted to rule. And this baby was a sign he had no authority. Herod's feeling of being threatened led to him trying to protect himself. I think a lot of us try to protect ourselves from this truth as well. We, we run a, as far away from it as we can. We try to remove all instances of it impacting our lives. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to feel it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to believe. We do things to run away from God and then the hurt that we feel along the way, we take that and we use that to blame that on God and say, see, there is no God because this wouldn't happen. When it was often our steps that took us there in the first place. We are threatened. Let's look at one more response. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, we, we see these wise men. We don't know if there were three. There's nothing that indicates that other than the three gifts. They were not kings. That much is pretty sure. Uh, so when we sing we three kings, not so much. That was a mistake, which unfortunately made it into a Christmas song, and we all repeat it over and over again. The Magi were wise men. That's exactly what they were. They were, another word for it is, is magicians, another word is sorcerers, but it wasn't like the magic we think of. They were astronomers and astrologers. They read the signs and interpreted them. Now, because this was important in their culture, they were probably from Persia, maybe Babylonia, they were from the east. They would have been counselors to kings. They would have been scholars. People that came to them and interpreted the signs and gave uh, uh, advice to the king and to the rulers. And so they come. The other thing we know is that they really weren't at the manger. So I always tell people, to, kids, go home and take the wise men from your manger scene and move them across the room. They were still on their way. They weren't there yet. They show up sometime later. We know this because they come to a house. Matthew 2.11 says that. And we believe that Jesus was probably somewhere between one-year-old and two-year-old by the time they got there because Herod has a plan, according to the time he learned from the wise men, to kill all babies two years old and under. Now, imagine, you're a scholar, You've got this great interpretation, this cosmic sign that something amazing has happened, and so you take this long journey and you show up, and it's just some house. And there's just a, a young family staying there, and there's no reason that, to think that this is a king. And I'm always blown away at the response of these wise men. The gifts that they brought were so expensive they were worthy of a king. They had come to worship a king. And they still give those gifts to this unassuming family and this little baby. Gold in that culture was a symbol of kingship. It was something you gave to a king to say, you are a king. Frankincense was used for incense. 
usually in temples. It was used as an act of worship to a god. So we have them declaring in their gifts, this baby who looks like anybody else is a king and a god. But then we have myrrh. Myrrh was a symbol of death. It was used in the embalming process. And so here in these gifts, we have a king who is a god who is preparing to die. Think of the faith of the wise men. They gave in faith in who Jesus was. There's one other person that in conclusion I just want to mention. And her responses are mentioned over and over again, and we're not going to look at all of them, but just one. And this is Mary. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, we're told, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. In the middle of all of this stuff going on, these great announcements from the angels to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, the visitation of the wise men, Herod trying to put Jesus to death, in the middle of all this craziness, there's Mary soaking it in and just saying, hmm, I wonder what all this means. I pray that our response to Christmas would also be to ponder. Take some time to dwell on these things. Take some time to treasure them, as Pastor Al taught the kids, to seek that treasure that is there in Christmas. But like Mary and like everybody else in the Christmas story, at some point, pondering has to move into trusting. Accepting who Jesus is. Are you scared this morning? Are you excited? Are you at peace? Are you threatened? Are you living in faith? Take time today to ponder the message of Christmas and to respond by giving the gift of yourself to our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, there are so many different ways that we can respond so many appropriate responses, so many inappropriate responses. But I pray that we would consider how we're responding and not just rush through this season and take these truths and and just lose them in the midst of all the wrapping paper and decorations and parties. But Father, may we take time out to ponder and to truly consider who that baby is in the manger and to truly consider how we are responding to him. In your name we pray. Amen.